Today's teaching text is Ezekiel 37, 1 through 14. That is found on page 798 in your Shed Bibles. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath, come from the four winds and breathe into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, friends. Hey, my name's Tim, if we haven't met. I get to be one of the pastors here, and it's uh, one of the, my favorite things I get to say. And you never know in work as a pastor what you're going to talk about with people on a day-to-day basis. It's a broad range of topics. And I want to tell you about a time a few weeks ago I was having a conversation with someone. They're, they're a few decades ahead of me. And we're going skiing, and we, the conversation turns from ski hills to death and dying and end-of-life care and funerals, as it does, because that's a part of our life and our existence. And quickly, the, the question arose, what do we do? How do we think about cremation in light of the Apostles' Creed that affirms the resurrection of the body? Anybody thought about this? I'm sure it's a, we have, right? It's a, it's a thing. And so, what do we do with that? Can our ashes be resurrected, or did we just go too far this time? And to let you know, we've had some conversations like this on our pastoral team here at church. Uh, you see, over the past year, we took about five months together 
and read and studied and gathered wisdom of, of longtime pastors and leaders to see how we can steward the Christian funeral and care for our church near, in the end of days for people and how we can love you and serve you in the midst of that. And it was actually one of the most beautiful moments that I've had with our pastoral team is this, because we take really seriously our call to care and steward and walk with you. And it's rare that I speak for all of us, but I will in saying we do that because we love you and feel called to say this is our place and this is our people. And so know that that's happening a bit behind the scenes uh, when we show up here on a Sunday. So big questions like this are things we want to wrestle with. And no, no, I don't think we went too far in limiting God by our cremation. I think the God with, who came up with resurrection power and designed mitochondrial DNA and the, the billions of stars around the universe can indeed make life out of our ashes and our dry bones. But beneath that question, I think for many of us, is a terrifying curiosity that we hold. Can my actions or my decisions limit God's power? Is God limited by my circumstances or my reality? And beneath that question, even one more layer, even if God can do these things, is God willing to for me? Does God love me enough to do that for me? Lending credence to British scholar Basil Hume's assertion that Christians find it easier to believe that God exists that, then, that if God truly loves them. It's one thing to say you're out there and another one to say you're out there with a powerful love for me. And so today, we're simply going to look at this God in two different scripture texts. We could explore these questions with a variety of profound theological treatises, but instead the lectionary gives us these two stories side by side where I think we can taste and see the reality of love that is God, the unstoppable, overcoming love of God on display and have our curiosities answered there instead. So, if you have a Bible, and if you don't, I encourage you to get one, open one, app one, whatever it is, we are gonna start not in the desert, but in first century Palestine. John chapter 11 is where we're gonna be, where Jesus raises Lazarus. The text starts like this. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village uh, where Mary and Martha were his sisters. We've seen these characters before, if you've read through the Gospels. 
Jesus is their friend. He cares about them and loves them. And what we're going to see in the long lead up to the tomb are a series of small conversations back and forth where there is a lack of congruence with how Jesus is seeing things and how these people who love him and have traveled with him know him are seeing things. These things are not lining up step by step by step. So this is verse three of John 11. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory that God's son might be glorified through it. He's sick, but it won't end in death. We're worried, and Jesus is speaking words of comfort. This tension permeates this entire story, back and forth. It continues. Jesus said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. This is a few days after they had got the news that Lazarus is sick. They want him to go right away. Jesus doesn't go right away. We should go back to Judea, where Lazarus is. And they say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going back? Back and forth. And Jesus replies to them, are are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the day will not stumble, for they see the light. And then we move on to verse 11. They Jesus makes the journey, and they say, they come up to him and say, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him, is what Jesus says. And then his disciples reply to him, Lord, if, if he sleeps, he'll get better. And Jesus, I think he's just kind of like, gosh, I, all, all right, all right, you're not quite getting it. And he says to them plainly, the Gospel of John says, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there to save him, Jesus says, so that you may believe. So let us go to him. So they make the journey. And they get there. And verse 17 says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Four days dead and buried. And now quite a crowd has gathered around because they're only two miles from Jerusalem. There are mourners and witnesses to this. And in verse 21, Martha, one of the sisters, says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Hope. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. It's almost like they lined up on something. But but then Martha comes back and she says this, I I know he will rise again at the resurrection on the last day, which is beautiful Jewish theology that yes, there will be a resurrection of the dead. But, But she still doesn't get it. Jesus hears her, and I'm sure like from the Sunday school teacher in him says, yes, I appreciate that but it's insufficient. Because when she says, he will rise again at the resurrection of the dead, Jesus says, I think immediately, he might have even cut off her sentence and saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And no one who believes in me will die. I 
am the day of the Lord that you are waiting for. I am the hope that you think is out there is actually right here in front of you. Even your right answer is not right enough because I am bigger, I am stronger, I am more present is what Jesus is saying. All your hopes are found in me. And so they continue on, Martha and Jesus, toward this tomb. And then Mary, the other sister, comes out. This is verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Same line as her sister, different emotional space. They're closer to the tomb. They're not talking about the resurrection one day. Mary is is weeping. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And he asked, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, as Jesus approaches the tomb. And they get to this space, and we get this verse 35. Jesus wept. We get a feeling early in this text that Jesus is on a mission. That he is is not stopping. He is untroubled by the misconceptions people have about him. He is undeterred that he is on his way to Lazarus and despite people thinking he's sleeping or waking or whatever, he will rise again. And yet, in the mission of power, Jesus stops to connect. He is never outside of connection with his beloved. With a world to manage and dead to raise, he stops and sheds tears with those who are weeping. He's never too busy to enter the pain and the struggle, despite the ferocity of love inside him. In fact, here's a great great quote. The furious love of God knows no shadow of alteration or change. It is always reliable and always tender. Jesus is on his way. Reliable, furious, strong, and tender, and present. I would also recommend this book to anyone and everyone. The Furious Longing of God. Jesus wept. The Jews said, see how he loved him. It's visible. Christ's love. We go to verse 38. Once again, Jesus deeply moved. He came to the tomb and he sees the stone that is rolled in front of it, blocking the way. And he says, take away the stone. And even now, there's protest. Martha, the one who knows her theology, the one who he said, I am the resurrection, says, by this time, Lord, there's a bad odor because he's been there for four days. 
There is just no way this is going to happen. You may have heard there was a custom in those days that, that they didn't lay the dead and to rest and seal the tomb right away. For it was thought that the spirit hovered around that person. Almost like the princess bride, mostly dead. I'm not a doctor. But finally it was conceded. Death has won. There is no hope. Four days is many days, too many. The stone is put over the tomb. It is sealed. It is finished. There was no doubt, somehow, in Mary's mind, in Martha's mind, despite being face-to-face with Jesus, that that the scene in front of them had limited Jesus' power and ability. But Lord, it's been four days, but Lord, it is impossible. Death has won. And the outlook is impossible. In everyone's mind, the answer is obviously No, these bones cannot live. The tomb is sealed. And then there was the prophet Ezekiel hundreds of years before. While the Israelites were exiled in Babylon, not knowing that they would ever return to their homeland. And the text says, as Allison read, that that the hand of the Lord was on him. Ezekiel. And he brought me out to a valley, set me in the middle of it, and it was full of bones. And God led him back and forth between them, and I saw a great many bones, very many bones. And then that word is used again, and they were very dry. Dry, dead no life. As much as we're talking about the pre-scientific era, in the desert, water was life. Dryness is dead. And these bones are dry. And in the midst of them, the prophet is asked by God, son of man, can these bones live? I don't know how Ezekiel answered this, but if I was him, I would answer in a similar fashion. He gives the politician interview answer, no answer. Lord, only you know. Only you know. Maybe he said that with hope, maybe with resignation, maybe with trembling. Whatever it is, the answer, like Martha, is not of course. I don't know, Lord, only you know. Because these were really old bones. The Jewish Midrash, which is a, a companion text to the Torah for the Jews, says that these bones were not just old, they were very old. They most likely, in this interpretation, belonged to a group of Israelites who left the promised land early, unwilling to wait for Moses to lead them out and were slain in the desert valley by the Philistines and died. 
interesting to have in the background of a people who are now in Egypt reinterpreted in Babylon, wanting to get out, tempted to say, we're going to leave on our own time, end up as bones in the desert. I think this points to something. These dead bones, could it be that the reader of Ezekiel is seeing this is my generational sin and death. Curses that were decades, generations before me are still at play. That there is death that I feel in my heritage, in my relationships, in my habits. And that's what they see in these dead bones. And then, God says to Ezekiel, speak, prophesy to these bones and say, hear the word of the Lord. Dead bones, old habits, generational curses and brokenness. Hear the word of the Lord. I will make breath enter you. Spirit, ruach, life will enter you and you will come to life and I will attach tendons to you and make flesh upon you and cover you with skin and I will put my breath in you. You will come to life and you will know that I am the Lord to bring what is dead and dry and broken live again and face to face with the one who says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. And even that is, which is so dead, holds no power in my presence. And then you, my people, fast forward to verse 13. You will know that I am the Lord. I will open up your graves and I will call you out of them. And I will put my spirit in you and you will live. You will settle in your own land. You will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. That in front of Ezekiel, what was death? Generations of dead are now alive again and full of the Spirit. What was forever broken, dried up, and lost is full of life. This is the God. This is the one who has called us, invited us to encounter him. So then, at the command of Christ, the stone that held Lazarus was rolled away. Jesus stands in the company of his friends, those whom he loved. He is moved in spirit, tears still on his cheeks. And as if, as if he is the unstoppable force of life and love, he calls out. He speaks to the dry bones and he says, Lazarus, says in a loud voice, come out. Death will not hold you. The dead man comes out, his hands and his feet wrapped in strips of linen, and Jesus says to them around him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so, church, 
here and now, amidst the dead brought to life and bones now rebuilt, repaired and filled with the Spirit, we not only see what God does in the face of death, we also see that this is who God is. God's character on display. Jesus, the Lord of the universe, speaks life in the face of death. Fullness of the spirit in the face of emptiness. He speaks hope into despair. Here is a God who refuses, despite our best efforts to be limited by our small expectations or our lack of hope or be constrained by our conditions and whose furious love will make a way and will not stop in the face of our doubts, our limitations, our wounds, or our prisons, or our brokenness. God will not stop. And so no, our cremation will not stop the reconstruction and resurrection of our bodies in the love of God. There is absolutely nothing that you can do, no barrier that you can break and build that God cannot break down. This Jesus is tenderly and with compassion on the move of unstoppable, furious love to rescue and redeem and rebuild. No matter how long the barrier has been in place, this is who God is. God is a furious fire. We see this with Catherine of Siena years ago. She writes, eternal father, it was fire then that compelled you. Oh, unutterable love, even though you saw all the evils that your creatures would commit against you in your infinite goodness, you acted as if you had not, could not see and you set your eye only on the beauty of your creature with whom you had fallen in love like one drunk and crazy with love. You are the fire, nothing but a fire of love, crazy over what you have made. I would imagine the disorientation of the disciples who at every turn, Jesus is in conflict with their expectations, with their hopes, with science and life and death. And yet Jesus makes a way as if one who does not care about these limitations on fire with love to be reunited with what he loves, who he loves, that is Lazarus and that is you today and in eternity. Jesus will not stop. And so we get to this text in Romans chapter eight. With, I want you to hear this. With a valley of dry bones now alive and with a dead man who is now breathing in the back. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels or demons, neither the present or the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ. And so any question we can muster as complex 
or as emotional about God, will you, can you? I don't think you ever could. Would you, would you stop at this? The answer is no. God will not be stopped by our limitations or even our death. Christ is coming. And I am convinced at my best moments that the most true thing in the universe is the power of God's love coming after what God wants. You and I, now and in eternity. And so what do we do? There's three simple invitations that come out of this, I think. One is receive. Receive the healing and new life in Jesus. The one who has spoken to the dry bones, the one who has filled the dead with life, is calling to you and I. If that is one of the first times, the first time you have heard that invitation, would you receive the Spirit of God and know that Christ is for you? And would you also receive new life? Maybe as you're hearing this, you know the generational curse or trauma or sin that has made your bones dry, your family dry your relationships dead or parts and pieces of them, would you receive the invitation, the possibility that the Spirit of God can fill you and can fill those spaces and that the dry desert does not hold the future in God's economy for you? You can participate. We find ourselves in the story. We may be Lazarus and we may be the dry bones or we may also be those who are called to partner and participate with what God is doing in the renewing of things. Near the end of our gathering each week, we say there's joy boxes in the back. If you want to participate with what God is doing here, that's one way and your whole entire life. We get these two characters, or a few, right? Ezekiel is present to what God is doing. And instead of just speaking the word of the Lord to the dry bones, he invites Ezekiel, you speak. There are some people in your life who need to or are encountering the love of God and need a healing word of hope. Speak to the dry bones. Look them up in your contacts. Call them, go to their house. Step in to participate in this this love of Jesus that isn't stopped. Speak. Unwrap the dead clothes that bind our friends and family. At the end of this, Jesus can do anything, and they know that because Lazarus comes out of the tomb. And yet he says to those around him, take off those clothes, the clothes of death. The lies that have been believed, the the things that are untrue, this identity that is is over him right now is not the final word. So friends, take, take them off. Speak encouragement to one another. Speak words of life to the places that are dead or the people that feel like they are. We can participate. And finally, know 
be still and know that I am God, we hear in the Psalms. This is the bedrock that animates the rest of this. That God is moving and God's love will not be stopped. This this dynamic, again, is not just what God does to a select few. These aren't decisions that God makes willy-nilly, but the character of God, the love, the essence that holds together the Trinity and all of the universe is the unstoppable, all-powerful, and ever-redeeming love of God. And so know that and take heart and be comforted and live in confidence because the God of the universe who will stop at nothing to rebuild and redeem and to love is on your side and you are the beloved and so walk in comfort and in confidence and in prayer and in praise because God has come and God will come again. And so we get to embody this every single week to know that we are invited to celebrate the reality that is Jesus Christ and that furious, unstoppable love. That even though bones had been brought to life and Lazarus called out of the tomb, Jesus goes even further as if we had any doubt to say, my death will not even stop me. There is nothing that will separate you, my beloved, from my love. And he begins to share this with his disciples. And so we share it together. The Lord be with you. Would you lift up your hearts? Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. So it was Jesus who gathered his disciples as if once again to show them and to tell them his character. So he takes the bread early in the meal. He says, this is my body broken for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? And then they continue the meal together. And after they had eaten, Jesus takes the cup and he pours. He says, this is the new promise, the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink of it together in remembrance of me. And so we do. Would you pray with me? Lord, it is good and right that we gather around you to give thanks now and forever for what you have done and who you are, that we are able to join our praise with all of heaven, all of eternity, and all creation proclaiming who you are, God of fire and love. God, unbound by our expectations or our world. And so God, would you do in this meal through your spirit what we cannot do? Would you heal us? Would you set us free? 
Would you speak words of life and truth to us as we receive you? Would you make these elements the communion of the body of Christ to us? And so, friends, we take this meal together. It is for you. Christ is for you. We have four stations around this room where you can come and take and eat. You can come forward and receive the bread and the cup. There's a space to pray and to be prayed for. We'll have our prayer team in the back. Bennett is back there by the prayer room and would love to pray with you. If you need someone to help speak life over the dryness and death of yours, we're here to do that with you. If there's a prayer request, even a hope, an audacious one, which invite you to put it in the prayer wall and know that we will join with you in prayer. This is a space that the Spirit of God, the wind, the breath is blowing. And would it fill you as we take and eat? And we proclaim the mystery and the marvel of this love together as we eat. We say this, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. So friends, come and take and eat and receive who you are, the living body of Christ.